following is a state secret, gentlemen. Disclose it to any party and you will be subject to prosecution. His name is John Mason, British national incarcerated on Alcatraz in 1962, escaped in 63. There's no identity in the United States or Great Britain. He does not exist. Secrets have a way of coming back to haunt you. There's a hostage situation on Alcatraz. Hostage, 81 tourist. The rocks a tourist attraction. The one you train to defend you becomes your greatest threat. A battery of VX gas rockets is presently deployed to deliver a highly lethal strike on the population of the San Francisco Bay Area. And the one you abandon becomes your only hope. You go talk to him. Me? Yeah. Hiya. I'm an agent with the uh, F FBI. I'm Stanley Goodsby. But of course you are. At least he got his name right. Now, all that stands between a city and a disaster. The power of this chemical is way beyond anything you can imagine. That's where you're coming with us. Is a man who's never seen combat. You're a chemical freak. <laughs> I'm a chemical super freak, actually. And another who's been out of action for 30 years. Show us on the blueprints. I can't. My blueprint was in my head. Fortunately, some things you'll never forget. But don't worry, it'll all come back to me. From Don Simpson and Jerry Bruckheimer, the producers of Top Gun and Crimson Tide, and Michael Bay, the director of Bad Boys. Welcome to The Rock. We got visitors. Sean Connery. I'm sure you're ready for this. Do my best. Your best. Losers always whine about their best. Yeah. Nicholas Cage. Listen, I'm just a biochemist. I drive a Volvo. Beige one. So what do you say? You cut me some friggin' slack. Ed Harris. Fire. Welcome to They Called Us a Movie, testing the strength of friendships one terrible movie at a time. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and other podcast services by searching They Called Us a Movie and find us on Twitter and Instagram at TicTamPod. That's T-C-D-A-M-Pod. We are also now a proud member of Geek Vibes Nation and you could find them at GVNation.com. Welcome back to They Called Us a Movie. This is Anthony Delvecchio. With me as always is Dan Aquino and Mark Meyer. Say hello, gentlemen. Hello, friends. Welcome to The Rock. Yep. Wait, I we tried. have Sean Connery on this podcast? <laughs> we do. He's back. <laughs> oh, he's, man. He's been hiding out for, I don't know, how long ago? Ten years ago? Yeah. I, I know this is bait to have me try to do the accent again, but we're going to... What brings you on the show tonight, Mr. Connery? <laughs> Sir Connery. Sir, 
you were watching The Rock. Well, there, there's a. He heard that there's a woman on this podcast, and he. Uh, he said, Wait a minute. It's gonna be try to slap her across Discord. <laughs> All right. Yes, we uh, we actually have a guest this week to talk about today today's movie. Uh, she's a comedian and writer, and we had her on last year for Jumper. Please welcome back to the show, Jess Sager. Thanks for coming on, Jess. Thank you so much for having me. I, uh, it would be an honor to get slapped by Sean Connery, if I'm being honest. That would be the coolest <laughs> thing I think that's ever happened to me. Yeah, I mean, I like that's a story, right? Like, yeah, there's like, no one cooler that could slap you. Yeah, like, I mean, if if I'm gonna get hit, let it be worth it. Like, <laughs> like who yeah. is there anybody that would be cooler to get slapped by? I don't think like, so. Like I I'm feel actually like Prince. Prince yeah. Like yeah. getting an open palm yeah. slap by Prince would be pretty good. <laughs> yeah, like Prince would be good. I I almost want to say Lenny Kravitz, but that's not cool so much as like like that man could get me pregnant in like a minute. So yeah, I was gonna I say know. I feel like Lenny. Lenny could probably knock out some teeth too. Yeah. Like, but it'd be like worth it cool. just to touch him. Um, yeah. I think that would be one of those things where you, if he, if he were to hit you, you'd ask for another, right? Yeah. <laughs> Basically. Yeah. You'd apologize for hurting his hand. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, what have you been up to just these days since we last talked to you? I adopted another dog. I haven't left the house that much because uh, COVID is still really scary, but, um, I've been binging just about every piece of content about Silicon Valley scams. Um, so I was obsessed with the dropout. Um, and I'm really, I'm really into We Crashed now. Um, and like documentaries about both of those things, like WeWork and Theranos. I'm obsessed. Like rich people are fucking stupid. Like, yeah. I don't understand yeah. it. Um yeah. They're just, it's, a lot of it is just confidence between, like, the dropout, WeWork, and uh, inventing Anna. It's just yes. the confidence to walk into a room and convince, and just being able to talk to these people. And it's just like, yeah, take my money. It's, yeah. It's, it's so interesting. Because a lot of it, a lot of the Theranos w- thing was just preying on people's fear of missing out. Fear of the, the FOMO. Like, the whole Walgreens thing was just like. We're going to say no to the next big thing. And we're going to look like idiots. So might yeah. as well listen to this blonde girl that's just calling us on that. Yeah, it's fascinating. I I think we watched like the first 30 minutes of WeWork. Of the, uh, we, so we watched a documentary, which I really liked. We started yeah, watching We really Crashed. Good. And I, it's tough to watch something with Jared Leto in it. Yeah, like <laughs> here's the thing. I hate I I've hated Jared Leto for like... I hate to say it like this, but like I've hated him before it was cool. Um, because he a friend of mine, like his record label, asked her to photograph a show that they were doing. Mm. And he like so she was in the photo pit with her past, like taking pictures because they asked her to. And he like kicked her camera and spit on her oh, during Jesus. the show. So I've hated him for like a decade, maybe more. So for me to like we crashed as much as I do, it's in spite of Jared Leto, not because of him. Like that's how much I like Anne Hathaway, I guess, that she's able to elevate the material beyond him. Sure. Anything else? We all, I think like everyone on this podcast hates Jared Leto, right? I I don't think there's a person amongst us who enjoys him. I mean, he makes it so hard to like him. Yeah, I don't think he cares. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I think I came to that conclusion after my second viewing of Morbius. 
No, I'm just kidding. Oh, <laughs> I, I think, yeah, I mean, you look past all the obvious stuff, like the fact that he's probably a cult leader and it, he's so super serious about his quote-unquote method acting and the obvious possible uh, pedophile allegations, you know, all that yeah. kind of stuff. He just seems, he just seems like an asshole otherwise, you know? Like, yeah, like, the whole... yeah, like, aside from all, like, the creepy shit, he just seems insufferable to be around. Like, exhausting, yeah. you know? Yeah. Like, the guy like... who don't want to corner you at a party. No. Yeah, like, like, I saw that one interview where the guy was trying to talk to him about the movie Urban Legend that he was in, and he was just like, I don't know what that movie is. It was like, oh, that's a great interview. <laughs> it's like, fuck you, man. You made a shitty horror movie. Who cares? Like, everybody made a shitty horror movie. Right. Like Leonardo DiCaprio's in Critters 4 or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> like it's like, a rite of passage. He's yeah. so uppity. So full of I, himself. I mean, and you I, know, I, you know he does not return the shop, shopping carts to the uh, the <laughs> return. Yep. <laughs> I was, I was going to say at least like some of the members of, like the cast members of Friends have the, 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 the excuse of being like on drugs and saying, oh, I don't remember doing any of this show. Like, yeah. What did Jared Leto have? Like, oh no, I just don't remember it. Why? Oh, I just don't remember it. Yeah. It's like I wasn't in that movie. Yeah, fuck you, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Is that all you've been watching though, Jess? Uh these uh um, these mostly. Um I'm also like I'm also into the Law and Order re- even though I hate every character on the show. Okay. There's not a single person on it I like, but I can't stop watching. Is this the this the main Law and Order show? Yeah. Or so is- it's like it's like a quasi reboot but there's just considering it like season 21 or whatever gotcha. of the original yeah. show but um yeah i've been watching that and like sam waterston is still in it but like he's barely in it. i think it's like i hate to say i feel like he's so old that he probably could only do like so many scenes per show yeah. so he's in he's in almost every episode but for like two minutes and gotcha like, and always sitting in a chair yeah literally <laughs> like sweet gig if you can get it yeah yeah, yeah. he he's should earned we, that yeah 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 should we try this case yes all right that's a wrap for sam <laughs> <laughs> and they'll just use that scene like for several episodes too yeah like we're done for the season man <laughs> that's a wrap on sam for the season yeah uh okay uh dan what about you what have you watched this week all right so I, I've, I've been debating about talking about this, but uh, I'm just going to let it fly. Uh, I haven't watched anything new other other than like Moon Knight and uh, Halo. But I, oh, I had yeah, a, Moon I want... Knight. How did I forget Moon Knight? Yes. Sorry. I no, that's it so okay. it's pretty good. I, I, I'm very bummed that uh, Oscar Isaac isn't coming back in the MCU, uh, it appears. But I'm enjoying it while it lasts. Um, so I wanted to I guess I wanted to posit this question to you guys. And and Jess, uh, have you ever one night ever shit his pants? (laughs) It it would be super obvious. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) The dangers of having a white super suit. He wants people to see. (laughs) Not like that pussy Batman who wants to hide his shit. Um, (laughs) No, uh, my. So I wanted to posit the question to you guys: Have you have you ever listened to a song and it like affects you deeply? You know, like. Just kind of like out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I am okay. not in touch with my emotions enough to do that. 
Okay. Why well, do you ask, Dan? So, so <laughs> the, the reason I bring this up is, uh, you know, every now and then people will have an emotional reaction to some music. But I don't know if anyone's ever had an emotional reaction to My Sacrifice by Creed. And I did. Wow. Yeah. Uh, it, it, no, don't say odd. It's not the right. It should be. Oh, my God. Yeah. Wow. I, I don't know what happened. So, it was. Uh, so, go ahead. So, Jess, are, are you available every Tuesday to be the third <laughs> member of this podcast? I, I definitely need to go away for some evaluation. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I think this is the point where your best friends tell you you might maybe you should talk to a therapist. <laughs> I have some deep-seated trauma wow. that uh, only Scott Stra- uh, was it Scott Stapp could yeah. bring out. <laughs> I, I was I was in my basement. I, I was exercising, and I I was doing. I wasn't even doing anything crazy. I think I was just doing like shoulder press, and I was listening to music my sacrifice came on the uh, the channel and then he hits the chorus and something just it for some reason it made me tear up i wow. i don't know <laughs> i don't know what happened maybe it was it, the endorphins like messing with your head a little bit it was a hormonal maybe. thing right i think it was the yeah. pre-workout it, it must have been yeah i just i got <laughs> too jacked up and then yep. and the the righteous jams of creed just it it, just, it was too much for me to take. Yeah. I was I was really hoping you guys would have something for me. I mean, like, oh, if yeah. you like, I could see if you said "Landslide" by Fleetwood Mac. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, because that's the... an emotional song, I could get behind that. But sure, I, I, but I Scott, think... <laughs> Scott Staff just bolted out. When you are with me, <laughs> I, I, I you know the song. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Hey, every white suburban kid had Creed's first album. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. It's like everybody (laughs) had that that album. I know, I know, I could count on Jess. I feel like Jess has had a a song where it's hit you in in a certain way, right, Jess? Yeah, like, and it's not always the ones you would expect. Like, um, there's this, there's this song "Guys" by the 1975. And he talks about, like, um, one of the lyrics is, like, the first time we went to Japan was the best thing that ever happened to me. And I, and, like, I've been to Japan. So, I don't know. So that did it. And then um, I'm trying to think of, I'm trying to think of, like, the weirdest, most recent one. Um, See, I, I like that, how you, it was able, you were able to tie that in to. Yeah, that was, like, more directly related. But um, I'm trying to think. Uh, did, I feel like. A lot of people in our generation, like, do you guys know who the Traveling Wilburys are? Oh, yeah. yeah okay, good. No, because I asked another one of my friends about this, and he had no idea what I was talking about. So I wasn't sure which one of us was weird. Um, yeah. But My favorite Traveling Wilbury is Jeff Lynn. Yes! Oh, my God. <laughs> Wait, can we talk about this? Because, like, I've always wanted a BuzzFeed quiz that doesn't exist to tell me which member of the Traveling Wilburys I am. <laughs> Because I really want to be Jeff Lynn, but I know <laughs> I'm probably oh, going to be great. Roy Orbison because I'm like dark and awkward. And it's like, I can't pull off the indoor sunglasses as well as Jeff Lynn can. <laughs> oh, man, yeah, I, that's not true. It. We all know that's not true. Well, I'm I'm like pretty close to being blind, so I may need them eventually anyway. <laughs> like My eyesight's real bad. My doctor laughs at my chart every time I go, but... <laughs> Is it, is it like in a movie where you kind of have to write down on your hand the, the, the letters? 
Well, that's the problem. That I think I tricked them into thinking my eyes were better than they were because I like I have a really good memory. So I was right. like, I was like, I can't see it, but I know what it is. Can I just tell you what it is? E F P T O Z. Yeah, T O P Z. Oh, you're good to go. See you yeah. later. You're going to go drive now. <laughs> yeah, like my husband tried my glasses on once and only once because he immediately got a migraine and was like, why are you allowed to drive a car? Like this shouldn't <laughs> be happening. This can't be legal. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, like the traveling Wilburys get me a lot. Um, whenever I have a bad day, I put uh, their song End of the Line on a loop mm. and I just listen to it over and over again until I feel better or I want to jump out of a window. So. <laughs> Great song. Great it's song. so good. All right, so Mark, what have you watched this week? I know you got something. Yeah, I had a whole bit uh, lined up that I was telling Anne about, but it doesn't work because I I'm not really great at lying. Um, <laughs> but I I did um I did go see Sonic Two as I threatened um on previous podcast mm -hmm. um uh, uh not planned um got sucked into um our good friend uh, my niece um uh, Kitty Ashcat mm -hmm. um. Let us uh, let me know she was seeing it on a day I was off from work. And I'm like, well, I'm not doing anything at 11 a.m. on the day I'm off from work. Um, yeah, let's go see it. Um, what I'll say is what I've been saying to everybody all week. For that type of movie, it's perfectly fine. I don't mm -hmm. know if it's as good as like as good as the first one um, in terms of even in that kind of movie. Um, but the I'm not going to get into details because because I know uh, the longer I go, the more Ant will edit it out. Um, the. <laughs> Uh, the thing I'll say is if all those rumors are true about Jim Carrey saying he's going to quit acting or whatever that is, or he's retiring, I don't know if you've seen that. Aunt. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, they leave themselves the option to go both ways with Robotnik. Um, okay. you know, so, um, they leave the door open for if he comes back and they introduce something that allows them to go in another direction. Um, so, so I like, I like that, that they didn't. Um, you know, end it and then have to do a whole retcon at the beginning of the next movie. Yeah. But with the money that movie is making, there is going to be a third one um, because it is outpacing the first one um, pre-pandemic. Um, so, yeah, they're definitely making a third one. But, yeah, if, if you have kids and they like Sonic um, or they like the first one, it, it, it's good. It, you know, um, yeah, there's some cringy parts, you know, obviously being an, a, an adult. Um, with it, but it, it's enough of a good storyline that it's fine. Um, yeah, and yeah, that that's all I watched. I had planned on um, uh, seeing the other movie, uh, Everything Everywhere, all at once. All at, all at once. All yep. at once. Um, you know, but I can't, now that I have a brand new apartment, I can't go see two movies in one weekend um, because I need money for um, more bills now. So You need money uh, to live. Is I need money saying. to be an adult. Now yeah. I have to actually be an adult. Um, Real quick, Mark, yeah. on a scale of one to ten, how sexy was Knuckles? <laughs> oh, uh, I mean, it's got Idris Elba's yeah, voice. That's what so I mean, it's I mean, when minimum eight, when, right? Yeah, when when Knuckles talked, it was a twelve. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I I can imagine that a lot of people went just for that. Yeah, yeah, but the Knuckles character was fine. It was pretty good. I mean, um, there's not much you can do with it. Um, because of where he has to go story wise. Um, sure, you got to you got to keep it realistic yeah, with the, yeah, with he's the got, he's got to, material. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> yeah, because it makes no sense to um, you know keep him around if you don't do the natural 
turn that he has to do in the movie. Um, uh, so, and you don't get somebody like Idris Elba to just have him do one movie. Yeah. Uh, now, the, the, these characters don't have last names, right? He's the Echidna. Oh, because okay. I was going to say, would it be like something from the Mario movie where it's Sonic Sonic and no, 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 Knuckles no, no, Knuckles no. kind of thing? The only one that has a name is, is Tails. And he has a last name? Yep. He's uh, oh. Miles Prower. Wait. Um, got it. All yeah. right. <laughs> Very clever. Oh, that's really cute. That took me a minute, but that's really cute. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. get on there, too. Yeah, he's the only one with an actual first and last name like, like that. Um, it's got a yeah. Christian name. Yeah. yeah. Everyone else is like first name with their, with their, um, with their uh, hedgehog. Yeah, Sonic the Hedgehog, you know, Knuckles the Echidna, Big the Cat. Um, you know, he's one of the rare ones that has a name for some reason. I think they just wanted to make the pun. Um, yeah. Seems like it. But yeah. I want them to keep making Sonic movies like forever. Like one of the last movies I saw um, before all, like everything shut down in 2020. Like we went to see The Invisible Man, which was really good. I recommend it still. Ooh, yeah. But and there was like a kid in the theater going with his mom to see Sonic and he was dressed head to toe in like Sonic oh. gear. He had like the little hat with like the blue spikes on it. <laughs> like I hate children, yeah. but it was the cutest thing I've ever seen. So I was like, I yeah. need this movie to start a franchise for this kid because I just want him to be happy. <laughs> he was yeah. so cute. I think about this Power. random stranger's child all the time. I should I should know. <laughs> like. Okay. That's all you watched this week, Mark? Yep. Okay. As for me, I only watched one thing this week, and I watched it because it didn't win the poll, and I said, what the fuck, I'm going to watch it anyway. I watched Con Air this week. Oh, yes. The 50th time or whatever. Ah, so good. So fucking good. I love that <laughs> movie so much. It's it's so terrible, but just great. And it rivals this movie's uh, cast. Just really great cast besides the obvious. Like Chappelle shows up. Cole Meany. Cusack is misplaced in this movie. Buscemi. Obviously, all the good ones. It's so good. Is William Forsythe in that as well? No, he's not. Oh, okay. Who? Oh, no, I'm thinking of uh, the, the agent with the, the car. Colmini, yeah. Col okay, gotcha. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's no, not uh, it's not William Forsythe. But uh, yeah, it's great, though. So much fun. John Malkovich is so good in it. I, yeah, that would have been my pick to win this poll. Not that to say that the movie we're watching this week is bad, but. Well, we I think we've kind of come to the uh, the understanding that we will cover all three of these movies. Oh yeah, definitely, poll, right? Definitely worth watching for yeah. this for this podcast. But, yeah, Jen was asking why I was watching uh, the movie that we're covering today again because I had recently watched it maybe like a week ago. I was like, well, why would I not watch it? I have an excuse <laughs> right. to watch it. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah, I even wanted I wanted to try and squeeze in Gone in sixty seconds because that's also on Amazon Prime, but I didn't have Ooh, the time. That's a good one too. Yeah. But uh, I don't think Face Off was anywhere. Also, I would have watched that too. But, so uh, good. Yeah, such great Nicolas Cage movies. So, so many bangers. So, just <laughs> he was he was the man in the '90s, man. <laughs> and you know, I feel like he kind of went underappreciated. Yeah, I, definitely. And it's just it's fun to watch like those practical effects '90s action movies where just everything explodes for no reason. Oh yeah, <laughs> the opening <laughs> has explosions. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and that's all I watched this week. So we're going to take a quick break and you guys are going to listen to some ads so we can pay those bills. And we'll be back in a second. 
And welcome back. Now it's time to get into this week's movie. And this week, we are celebrating Nicolas Cage. We are doing the the April movie of the month a week early. So we could talk about Nicolas Cage with the unbearable weight of massive talent coming out this week. So we hitted three of his best 90s action movies together. And it was between the movies Con Air, Face Off, and this week's winner was The Rock. The so, Holy Triumphant. Yep. It's the Holy Trinity of Nicolas Cage. You know, it is Easter, so we're talking about the God himself, um, Nicolas Cage. So we're talking about The Rock and from 1996. So, Jess, we're going to start with you. Where are you coming from with The Rock? I, like, first of all, Sean Connery with long hair, like, blew my mind. Um, I remember the first time I saw it, I, like, didn't recognize him because I'm so used to him just being James Bond all the time. Um, so that that part alone was fun. Um, and it's a it's Michael Bay, isn't it, directing? Yep. Okay, yeah. Because, yep. like, there's certain things, like, it was better than most Michael Bay movies. I think better than all subsequent Michael Bay movies. But, like, there were still some michael bay elements that you could pick up like the weird orange tint to everything I yeah. like that's always kind of like a hallmark like everyone looks really tan even when they're not um and, like all the colors are very saturated sort of like predator vision mm-hmm. um it's like everything is super bright um and like i just i really like nicholas cage in like a non-ironic way um he sort of looks like one of my brothers kind of looks like him so i always root for him and everything <laughs> that's awesome I was, and like when he does like the Rube Goldberg kind of thing with the with the Nerf gun in like the very beginning, I was like mm-hmm. I was like totally unnecessary but very adorable. So um, it's a very Nick Cage thing to do. Yeah. yeah. Also, just in terms of yeah, like the he... terrorism and shit, like the not I don't know. I wonder how much of that stuff like our military actually does and just gets away with all the time, like dicking over sure. soldiers left yeah. and right. Oh, I I mean we're that's what we're good at right that's one yeah. of our things yeah it's like <laughs> second only to bombing uh faceless brown people you know yeah yeah we 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 have those things down pat yeah <laughs> yeah and if uh if you like sean connery long hair may i recommend Sardaz? Sardaz. <laughs> <laughs> uh okay dan what about you where you come from the from the with the rock uh i have one like i'll usually write down notes for the movies we watch but uh, I have only one note written down on this movie, and it's that The Rock kicks all the ass. I love and it. it yeah, this movie, this movie so rocks. What's your, what's your note about the movie? <laughs> <laughs> no, not, not the wrestler. Uh, <laughs> I love this movie. Um, I, I, it has a great cast. It's so ridiculously over the top. And it, I, I think it is the best Michael Bay movie. And... Everything else is a distant second for him. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, the, the, the slow-mo, the saturation that Jess mentioned, just peak Michael Bay. Um, yeah, Sean Connery. I, I know he had a penchant for turning down iconic roles. I, like, I think he turned down Morpheus in The Matrix, mm-hmm. uh, Gandalf in The Lord of the Rings. But I, I'm really happy he decided to do this movie. Because he and Nick Cage have very good chemistry. I enjoyed watching the two of them on on screen just kind of like badger each other. Um, like one of my favorite scenes in the movie is when they <laughs> Sean Connery drops a, a giant fan 
on a Marine's head and the, the guy's twitching while Cage is trying to disarm this this bomb. And <laughs> Cage's like, is he supposed to be doing that? <laughs> like, oh, yeah, you know, that that'll happen. Like, well, how did like, can you make that stop? Like, what do you want me to do? Kill him again? <laughs> this is like some really good banter back and forth. Um, yeah. yeah, this movie rocks. I well, no pun intended, but I, yeah, I love it. It's such a fun movie. Okay, great. Mark, what about you? Yeah, so um, I absolutely love this movie as well. I mean, it's, it's going to be very obvious throughout this podcast. Um, uh, this is actually a good one we watched. This is one of the, as I've mentioned multiple times, the fabled seven VHSs that I owned as a kid um, or preteen. Uh, so uh, two of the three movies on this poll were part of that seven. Uh, so, um, yeah, if that doesn't say how much I love these movies. I don't know what does, but... Yeah, my favorite part of this whole movie is just for, I want to say like the first half of the movie, maybe. I want to say Cage is subdued, like subdued. Um, And then when they, you know, when they have the capture scene and he just all of a sudden goes full Cage um, from that point forward in the rest of the movie. um, It's it's one thing only he can do and not make you roll your eyes. Like it's 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 the equivalent of waiting around for uh, Samuel L. Jackson to say motherfucker in a movie. Um, sure. it, it's just waiting for Nick Cage to just have those lines where he just screams every um, like seven syllable or something um, <laughs> in there. But yeah, yeah. What I liked about this movie is um, before knowing who Michael Bay was, um, you know, I I loved the way this movie was shot and you know the action sequences. Um, and then when I found out the connection and saw the rest of Michael Bay movies, obviously, as we all were, we're slightly disappointed in most of them. Um, the, the great moment about this, and it's something I've said, um, in multiple podcasts before, um, I think what makes this movie, um, work is a lot of the, uh, character actors in, of the Marines, um, just giving off that, that vibe, um, uh, of it not looking out of place. Like, you can tell who might not be all there. And, you know, David Morse is real good. It's sort of the stoic second-in-command um, in this movie. And, and Ed Harris is just fucking Ed Harris. I mean, um, he doesn't have to do much to make you, you know, want to uh, run away in fear. Um, but, yeah, this this film has uh, some it's some great moments that I've completely forgot about. And then one really dumb moment, which we'll get to when we're going through the plot where I don't understand why outside of setting up a piece at the very end, why uh, Nick Cage's character did what he did. Um, And uh, one final thing, I'm also glad that uh, uh, Vanessa Marcel got paid for this movie. (laughs) Um, She literally did nothing but cry or sit around. um, It was in like 10 minutes. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> just, just 10 minutes of the movie. Um, it's her feature film debut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Goes goes from uh, uh, General Hospital, question mark, one of those soap operas, um, to just doing this movie. But it's fun. I forgot she was, I completely forgot she was in it um, until I went to load it up on Amazon. And that's like the featured image. Um, yeah, which is weird. Which is weird. Movie. <laughs> it's like, oh, oh, yeah, that's right. Um, but I'll say this, it might be slightly controversial. Uh-oh. Of the of the take... three movies that were on the pot that were on the poll, this one might be the most straightforward movie. If you know what I'm saying, like the other ones have way too crazy a moments and premise. 
like this movie is like a legitimate action movie, straightforward, like terrorist plot sort of deal. Um, it doesn't go too much um, off the rails with, with different things. Um, don't know if that's controversial or not, but I think that's um, kind of icy. This is basically yeah, this is okay. die hard, die hard on an island. Really? Yeah, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. The, the other two um, have moments that probably would have went better to uh, a, a podcast like ours or a commentary. Um, but you couldn't go wrong with all three of them because it's Nick Cage and he's bound to do something we can talk about for an hour or two. Oh, sure. As for me, I have a big regret in my life for this movie. Uh, there was I there was an opportunity for me to see this in theaters. And oh. instead, I went to go see the cable guy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I was 11. Uh, you know, Jim Carrey was the biggest movie star in the world. I'm not going to fault myself. But, you know, I should have seen The Rock. If it makes you feel better, Ant, if they came out at the same time, I may have done the same thing as you. Yeah. Because I saw Cable Guy in theaters. <laughs> yeah, but this, I, I I haven't seen it a lot, but I love this movie. Um, yeah, this is probably Michael Bay's best movie, but you know what? I don't think he's that bad of a director. Transformers aside, I'm going to throw <laughs> the Transformers is, is a garbage series, but... I mean, Pearl Harbor is not very good, but Bad Boys is fun. Yeah. Armageddon is stupid fun. Bad Boys 2 is not terrible. I think Pain and Gain is... I hate that I like it as much as I it's do. It's a really fun so story. Yeah, yeah, it's really fun. It sucks that like that was a true story and people actually had to go through the, the shit that happened there. The Island, I think, is underrated. Like, he... He knows what he's doing that in terms Scarlet of movie? that is the Scarlett Johansson, okay. Ewan McGregor. Uh, it's he's he's a competent filmmaker. He knows how to shoot action scenes. He got his start in music videos and like Playboy pictorial videos. So he he knows how to really male gaze it too a lot. <laughs> he He's a product of his time. But, you know, a bunch of his movies are not bad at all. Um, so I think he get and this is only his second movie. This was after Bad Boys. That's the only thing he did before that. So it's kind of hard to put your mind back into that place that, you know, Michael Bay made Bad Boys and that's it. What's his next thing? Because uh, he's become a cartoon character at this point. But yeah, there's so many good characters, so many uh, good actors uh, in this. Go ahead. I'm, I'm sorry. I was going to say, I'll give you a, a hot take. I liked the first trans, the first two Transformer, Transformer movies. Okay. Yeah. You no, know, I, I, I don't hate. I don't hate the first one. Yeah, I, I thought it was pretty it. good. I don't hate it. Yeah, um, I don't like the second one. Yeah. It's not as good, but I, I, for some reason, I enjoy it. I, I liked, uh, I, I liked the chemistry that uh, Megan Fox and LaBeouf had. Yeah, he's actually, he's actually pretty good in those movies. Yeah, he's not crazy um, yet. No, but uh, yeah, uh, so many good actors. I didn't uh, half the guys I didn't even realize were in it. Like Tony Todd had no idea was yeah. in it. Yeah. Um, John C. McGinley shows up. Bokeem Woodbine is in there. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I, it's fun. I don't know if you looked this up or have IMDb open, um, but was was this before or after Office Space? Office Space would have been 99, so it would have been... It was before. Yep. So is this when John C. McGinley was trying to be a serious actor? So John C. McGinley, I believe, was in Platoon. He was. Okay. Yeah. I did not know that. I haven't seen so, Platoon in a long time. Yeah. So he was definitely he was still in his, uh, uh, you know, macho, macho dude roles. 
But he I guess was... he never he never wasn't in his Macho Dude roles, I suppose. Oh, because even in Scrubs, he was jacked. Yeah, yeah. He was in Seven Point Break, uh, but he was also in like uh, Watch Out Car ninety six or something like that. It was like a Car fifty four. Where are you? Oh, Car fifty four. Yeah. Where are you? Yeah, that was a comedy. Well, yeah. Well, we have to make a movie now called What's Up ninety six. <laughs> <laughs> We could do that, I'm sure, and we can get him to star in it. Yeah, uh, Sean Con- the the chemistry between Sean Connery and Nicolas Cage is great. It's so fun watching Sean Connery in in this role. I love. Like, we were talking off podcast. I love the theory that he's playing James Bond. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> I I have a question for you guys. Yeah. Why can't Sean Connery just play a Scottish guy? <laughs> That's a fair question. Right? Like in this movie, they make him a British intelligence. Like he's a, he's from Britain, they say. Yeah, right. which includes well, Scotland. Well, the United Kingdom in, includes Scotland, yeah. but they say he's from like just Britain, right? Like, why yeah. can't they just say he's yeah he's from Scotland? I don't know. And and then what uh, was it? The Hunt for Red October. He's Russian. Yeah. And well, and, I mean, and no, James Bond. I think that I think that fits into the story of Hunt for Red October, though, doesn't it? Does it? I I haven't seen it in a long time, but I feel like it's very specific that they're Russian, right? Well, no, no, but yeah, but he plays a Russian general, and but talks in his Scottish accent, and he talks in his Scottish accent. Well, because Sean Connery was never going to do a Russian accent. Yeah, it's probably one of the conditions of him like taking. It. He's like, I'm not doing. I'm doing what I want. I'm fucking Sean Connery. Yeah. It's like, all right, Sean. Now, uh, like, try to try to say this in Russian. No. Yeah. No, I'm just gonna say it as me. Because he he actually speaks Russian in the movie. Mm-hmm. But with in the, the, Scott, with the Scott Scott. Scott. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, it that like that actually reminds me. Like, I I I think I may have texted you about this, Dan. Like over the weekend, I was actually watching the movie Troy, which takes place in ancient Greece. Yes. And everyone has British accents, and I was like, "What the fuck is this?" It was so distracting. Like. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I think I was like, "What? Like, so you're you're telling me that ancient Troy wasn't full of Brits?" Yeah, I, mean, I, th- I, thought, I, th- I thought that was history. I I think uh, I think you said something. It was like it was like that's just like Hollywood's generic version of foreign is just British. Yeah, like, yeah, or old times. Yeah, <laughs> old times equals British. Yeah, all, all, all those people from the Roman Empire that have British accents. Exactly. Yeah, but but you're right. You're right, Jess. I mean. Some some of these a lot of these movies were just, you know, we're going to get big names and we're not going to ask them to do much about anything just other than play that that character. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. it was just it was weird because, again, even as James Bond, he's he's British, yeah. but he, he's not British. Yeah. <laughs> right. I don't um, know. I think I uh, think they make a point of not saying which country of the United Kingdom James Bond is actually from. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they don't mention if he's English, Scottish, or Welsh. Um, you know, just and, so uh, they can have different people play him. I mean, an Irish guy played him, I think, one right. time, right? Doesn't isn't uh though in Skyfall, doesn't he go quote unquote home and that's Ireland? Oh, is well, it Daniel Craig is Irish, correct? I, Sounds Irish. I think he's just I British, know. I think. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. That... Yeah, I'm wondering if if I'm gonna look at my 90 but if, if Daniel Craig is Irish that would make a reason why he would go back to like Northern Ireland, whatever. And and the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, he's South African, Sean Connery, right? They they find him in Africa. Yeah, I uh, think so. So it's just like he refuses to play a, a Scottish person. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's just you 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 get Sean Connery, you you hire Sean Connery, you get Sean Connery. Right. You know, it's it's kind of like where some actors at near the end of their careers, you know, you hire him, you get him. Right. You know, you, you don't get you know him trying to play a character. Yeah. Yeah, know, I think. Anymore. I think one of the big, like the big ones, would be like Jack Nicholson, right? When yeah, you, yeah, you, yeah, you get yeah. Jack Nicholson, you're just or what like The Departed. He was supposed to play an Irish mobster, and he sounds nothing like an Irish mobster. He <laughs> yeah. just sounds like Jack Nicholson. Yeah, it's like Bruce Willis got there near the end, you know. Yeah, yeah, a lot, a lot of these guys just yeah, you're, you're just hiring the name, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Cage might be the only one, is even though he goes full Cage and does stuff like that, but he sometimes looks like he tries. Oh, he always yeah. tries. He recently, right? Didn't he come out and say like he never half-assed it in any of the movies he was in? Yeah, definitely. I, I I would say that he always see even if even when he's doing these movies that he's obviously doing because he needs money for mm-hmm. to pay taxes, he always seems like he's trying. He's trying to do something interesting with it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. What I meant by try was like you know he he wasn't Nick Cage in every like mm-hmm. he you know tries to alter that or become a character. Yeah. Like he's not right. playing it's himself. Diff- yeah, it's it's the difference between being a an actor and a movie star, right? Tom yeah. Cruise is Tom Cruise in every movie he's ever been in. Yeah, um, Jack Nicholson is at this point, at the very least in his career, he's Jack Nicholson. Right. Sean Connery has always been Jack Nicholson. Uh, I think. <laughs> Sean, yeah. Did you say Sean Connery? Sean Connery has always been Jack Nicholson. Yeah. Jesus, um, that's some great range by Sean. Connery. I know that's good acting. Yeah. Uh, so Nicholas Cage, I think, is more of a character actor than he is like a movie star. Yeah, you mm-hmm. know, true. But but yeah, I will, I love this movie. It's so good. I'm so glad we yeah, watched I've, this. I've watched it way too many yeah. times. Now, <laughs> question for you all. Yeah. Do, do any of you know like the inner workings of Alcatraz by any chance? I am going to wager a guess that there is not some sort of mine cart underground. Okay. And working as, furnaces. As if it's Temple of Doom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm saying at best, that was some kind of thing to just bring coal to heat the place. And it's not some kind of like Donkey Kong Country Minecraft. My Minecraft yeah. Minecart level. Yeah. There. Uh, there's probably also not a, a furnace that's on currently. After yes. the right. Facility yeah. shut down. <laughs> but it makes for a good video game moment, I suppose. Yes. And it allows him to open the door and say, welcome to the rock. Yeah. Yeah. For no they, reason. <laughs> right, because they were already on the rock. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> they they needed it for the trailer. Yes. That's, that's a good point. My parents went to Alcatraz on like a tour. And from what they told me, the tour guide wasn't like the one in the movie. Oh, Bob, no Bob? Yeah, didn't sound like as much fun as that dude. And they didn't get locked in any yeah. cells. But... Oh. Yeah. I, I went to Alcatraz too. I don't remember being locked in a cell. I know you can walk around in them, but you don't get the opportunity to be locked in them. No, that's the same thing happens a little closer to home at Eastern State in Philly Penitentiary. You get to walk in, but not they don't close the doors yeah. ever. I get what if something malfunctions. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's probably a reason things been around for over a hundred years. Yeah, um, but yeah. So The Rock from 1996, directed by Michael Bay, who's the director of Bad Boys, Armageddon, Pearl Harbor, Bad Boys Two, The Island. Transformers 1 through 5, Pain and Gain, 13 Hours, and the newly released Ambulance. It's also the director of that Aaron Burr Got Milk commercial. Oh, jeez. Yeah. That's like one of his early, early uh, uh, director jobs. Did did any of the music videos he did pop up? 
Oh, he's done a ton of music videos. They're they're on his his okay. main page, but he's he did so many. Not many that I like was like, oh, that's a great music video. Uh, I think the most famous song was like the I Touch Myself song by whatever the that divinals? Yeah. The, the divinals. Yeah. The Divinals, yes. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. He did the music video for that as well as yeah, there's a whole bunch. Wilson Phillips. Lionel Richie, Meatloaf, few mu- Meatloafs. Uh, oh, he definitely did. Uh, I won't do that, right? I would do anything for love. I would do anything for love. Yeah, that's the one. That, yeah, because because yes. the way Jess talked about like the, the the way that the saturation was. Yeah. yeah. Immediately, I thought of that. Uh, yeah. As soon as you said that, Dan, I just started nodding here. <laughs> I think there might have been an explosion in that. That. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Wilson, Phil, Tina Turner, a couple of Tina Turner, Winger, Great White. Young MC, yeah, Donnie Osmond. Do you think they reached out to Meatloaf to be the the tour guide for this? Oh, that he would have been great. Um, yeah. yeah, why not? Right, he could do it. Oh yeah, Meatloaf could have done everything. Yeah, but not that. But not that. Not that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, stars: Nicholas Cage, Sean Connery, Ed Harris, William Forsythe, John Spencer, David Morris, Michael Bean, Vanessa Marcel. John C. McGinley, Gregory Sporletter, Tony Todd, and Bokeem Woodbine. Great cast. I'm to be scored. By the way, there was a guy named David Bowe, and for some, I had to do a double check because I thought it said David Bowie was in this movie. <laughs> and I almost rewound it and go, how did I not know David Bowie was in this movie? I've right. seen it two dozen times. <laughs> I'm to be scorer, 7.4. Rotten Tomato score is 68%. Budget, $75 million. Box office, $134 million domestic, $335 worldwide. Lots of money. But uh, yeah. uh, I was all, I was spending the whole time because I haven't, like I said, I haven't seen this movie in a while. I was waiting for William Forsythe to turn yeah. as a villain right? in this movie. Because why do you hire William Forsythe? And he's like straight as an arrow in this movie. You know, he's the good guy in terms of the feds. Yeah, I, I didn't understand that. I thought I thought he was going to be the one who... I guess Womack, essentially. Like yeah. he was gonna be what Womack was. Right. Because Womack's a prick. He's this Forsyth's kind of a prick at the beginning, like during the interrogation, but then he's not. He's just like because he totally lets uh you know uh Stanley lie and say that uh, Mason gets vaporized yeah. at the end. He just lets him go. Yeah. It, it, I I'm assuming the reason he's like that in the beginning is to show you the difference between him and Nicolas Cage's character sure. as FBI agent. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was funny how in the interrogation scene where uh, Forth, Forsyth goes in, has no luck with uh, Sean Connery. So, so the guy Womack just sends Nick Cage and like, oh, you do it. Yeah. Like, I'm a biochemist. Like you're you're an FBI agent. So like, does that mean <laughs> I'm I'm trained in uh, in interrogating? That's that's not how it all all works. Like you don't yeah. all go through interrogation, I'd imagine. Yeah, it's also it's interesting because he tells him, "Don't tell him you're a biochemist." It was like that should be your ace in the hole. It's like this is what we're fucking dealing with. Like <laughs> this right. is this is exactly what's happening, and this is why we need your help. That shouldn't be that shouldn't be hidden, or else you know that's yeah. a great scene though with him being just so terrible at it. <laughs> I'm Stanley Goodspeed. <laughs> <laughs> of course you are. <laughs> yeah, it. Uh... I, again, I just I love the chemistry between the two of them. I I thought that it, everything was so natural. And I I mean, you say what you will about Nick Cage, whether you think he's a good actor or not. 
Uh, he he holds his his own with some of the best out there. Oh, I yeah. would say. Mm-hmm. He's like yeah, super he's charismatic. Like for better yes. or worse. Like when he's on the screen, you you can't take your eyes off. For sure, right? Like you're you're interested in seeing how he does things. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. There are just like so so many line readings in here that just come out of left field. <laughs> that it's just like yeah, I'm I'm with it. Like the words like when he's just like. I just want to find some rockets. He's <laughs> like, it's like, okay, Stanley's Stanley's going off the deep end a little bit. <laughs> one one of my favorite readings was when um, he finds Sean Connery talking to his daughter in the the gardens, and he's like trying to play it cool with him, but he's like, "Well, gee whiz, maybe we should go get some rockets." <laughs> like. <laughs> Very interesting oh, choice of, of like, oh, gee whiz. Mm-hmm. I'll have the pleasure of cutting you, oh, boy. Boy. It's a great, <laughs> great yeah, moment. It, it, he's anything but boring. Yep. Yeah. What do you say we, we get into the plot now? Yeah. Let's do it. All righty. Dan, what you got? I'm going to give a quick shout out to a couple friends of ours, uh, Tia and Brittany. They have a podcast called The Top Ten with Tia. You could check them out at geekvibesnation.com. Just search uh, Top 10 with Tia. And you could follow Tia at TC underscore Stark on Twitter. Okay, great. And we are going to take a quick break. And you guys are going to listen to some messages from Friends of the Podcast. And we'll be back in a second. Hey, this is Ken M. Padawan J. Coach Duffy. From the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour Podcast. Every week, the ODPH is talking sports, movies, TV, comics, and more. It's always a parlay of topics on each episode. You can find the ODPH on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, and wherever you find great podcasts, such as the one you're listening to right now. Don't forget to check out OchoGuroParleyHour.com, where you can find the links to all of the ODPH social media accounts, links to the bands whose music you hear each week on the show, hashtag 607PodcastInfo, and Parlay Points, our companion blog section of the show. Thanks for listening to the ODPH. Now get back to your regularly scheduled podcast. Welcome, travelers. Seems like you're looking for a story. Well, I got one for you. It involves adventure, friendship, and all hey, sorts hey, of... Hey, uh, Earl, why don't you tell him about that time I stole that big-ass melon? Yeah, yeah, I, I was going for more... Or you could tell him about the time I kicked her ass, Earl. I wouldn't ever tell him Do I need to get time. my ref gear on? Okay, everyone, shut up. Now come with me as I tell you a story from afar. Hey everybody, my name's David. I'm the DM for From Afar Podcast. A From Afar Podcast is all about four friends separated by distance, brought together by adventure. Hope you all stop by and give us a listen. Thanks. And welcome back. Now it's time to get into the plot for The Rock. We open on a military funeral. As some faceless Marines lower an American flag on an unseen casket. As Ed Harris silently gets dressed in his military uniform. We hear him in VO talk to a special forces committee about a quote unquote grave injustice. Then winds up at his wife's grave in the pouring rain as he lays flowers and tells her basically that now that she's dead, he can do something very crazy in order to get their attention, quote unquote. Also, the only thing that says on her grave is his wife, which is an interesting (laughs) choice. (laughs) I didn't even see that this time. That was probably they just couldn't think of something else to put on there. <laughs> yeah, we'll just say wife. It's just very male centric, Michael Bay. Just like, oh, yeah, how are we going to uh, characterize this dead woman? 
only specifically through her relationship with him. Well, we don't know. Maybe that was like that was all she accomplished in life. <laughs> I still think she was able. Yeah, it's like we have no evidence that they have kids, so we couldn't say mo- mother. Yeah, just yeah, so wife. T- that tombstone does not pass the Bechdel test. Then I guess. <laughs> it oh does my not. god! Yeah. This. Ooh. <laughs> This movie certainly doesn't, right? No, no, no. no. I mean, there, there's one woman in the movie, right? Vanessa Marcel is the only woman in this movie. No, no, the, the, the daughter, uh, Sean Connery's oh, right. daughter. Claire Forlani. Oh. But those two don't even talk to each other, do they? Yeah. yeah. She has she has oh, a friend that she talks to. Right. Way she, she I think she Connery. might say, I'll be right over there if you need me. Her friend yes. might say that. So. I, I think technically it, it might... It might yeah. pass the Vectal test at like the slimmest of margins. I was going to say, like, yeah, the skin like, of its teeth. Uh... Oh, <laughs> man. I don't feel good about it, but it does might. She say the, does she say the friend's name? I think the friend says her own name, because he okay. he's like, Jade, Jade, is that you? And <laughs> she's like, no, I'm Rose, Jade's yeah. roommate. Yeah, okay. Then it passes, because yeah. she's a named character. I am, I'm I'm going. I'm looking it up right now. This movie <laughs> passed one of three tests. That's all it says in the Bechtel BechtelTest.com. Probably the two female characters talking to each other and not about a man. Yeah, It'd probably be the one they passed. Well, and yeah, and also uh, Nicholas Cage's girlfriend proposes to him, so that's that's some female empowerment right there. I'd say. <laughs> and then in like, and the, yeah, I brought I, this up before. I keep dwelling on it, but the pigtails. She comes out with a pigtail. It's yeah. Like why? Why did we need that? That extra bit? I mean, right. We didn't. It's a very Michael thing to do. Yeah. Like, um, I remember making. There's an entire exchange about it. Yeah, that just didn't didn't further the plot at all. Um, I remember Megan Fox giving an interview a while ago, and she said that, um, like. Michael Bay supposedly has like an audition tape of her when she was like 14 or 15 washing his car in a bikini and like Ooh. yeah and when she was and yep. she said that there's a scene in Bad Boys or Bad Boys 2 I'm not sure which one it was where she's like dancing in a waterfall and she was like 15 and she was like in a bikini and I was just like with that context I was like this makes the pigtails seem like less quirky more gross you know, like yeah, right. definitely. Oh, and I did. I was unaware of that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it probably yeah, would have been Bad Boys Two, given the timing. I th- yeah, because that's been, the yeah. Because Bad Boys One, I think, was like in ninety one or yeah. She would have like been that, super, or... super young. Yeah, she would have been like a she child, child. Yeah, but uh, yeah, but yeah. I guess it, it technically does just on that one line. Yeah. <laughs> I really, I, I feel like we've got to fail it though, just on, on principle. I feel like that, the pigtails line might like, yeah, that can't, I, I feel right? like that cancels out like the other stuff that like just barely made the cut anyway. It's like, <laughs> and then we cut to a team of special ops team infiltrating a military facility. As Ed Harris playing General Hummel goes through the gates after tranking basically everyone on the base. The team enters the weapons facility, breaks into a very protected storage unit, and makes off with 16 chemical warheads. 
One of the soldiers, though, fucks up and drops the contents of one of the warheads for a couple of green balls that contain a chemical. Ball breaks and they have to seal them off in the storage room and David Morris watches as the dude's face melts from being exposed to the chemical. I like the design of this kind of, of these VX uh, balls. I just yeah. love it. It's, kind of, it's really very cinematic. Now, real quick, I, I want everyone to remember out there, if you've seen the movie, the ball drops and it, it rolls and it hits the wall and shatters. Now, this comes into play later in the movie. And it's batshit crazy. Yeah. But when when we get there, I'll I'll go further into it. But I just want people to remember it rolls and just taps against the wall and breaks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It almost like kind of just like crushes more than it breaks. Like right? Yeah, right. Doesn't yeah. it in the beginning? It almost like almost feel seems like it's some sort of uh almost like gel on the outside rather than a like a glass ball, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it but. does look like kind of malleable. Yeah. yeah. But uh yeah. Inconsistent. This movie fails. Never <laughs> mind. This movie sucks. <laughs> meanwhile. Meanwhile, Nicholas Cage, federal agent Stanley Goodspeed, gets a six hundred dollar Meet the Beatles vinyl sent to his office because his girlfriend won't understand the purchase. I get it. I totally get it. <laughs> well, I, I, I remember saying, I was like, oh, Anthony's in this movie. Yep. I've never spent $600 on a vinyl. It's coming. That day is rapidly approaching. Oh, man. You, you were staring down 420 for bangers. So. Oh, man. It's gone up. Miley Cyrus <laughs> bangers is now like $900. It's ridiculous. You're going to outdo Stanley Goodspeed. Ah. <laughs> uh. Uh, he's a Beatlemaniac, though, which I love that line. <laughs> uh, then he and his partner get called in to investigate a suspicious package that was found at JFK Airport in the lab. Put some hazmat suits on and go in and start investigating the package, expecting it to be possibly sarin gas. Stanley's partner looks through the package and pulls out a baby doll and starts playing with the arm, causing it to trip a booby trap and sprays corrosive sarin all over the hermetically sealed room. The guest starts eating their suits. Stanley also finds out that the C4 in the doll is a well that's rigged to blow in two minutes. The rest of the team evacuates. Stanley tries to defuse the bomb, and the guys on the outside of the room try to get the sprinklers work, stop the siren from corroding the suits, which they probably should have checked the pressure before they went in there with the guests in the first place. Seems like it's a, a oversight on their part. Guys on the other side tell Stanley and his partner they need to inject atropine directly into their hearts in order to counteract the sarin gas. Instead, Stanley continues to attempt to defuse the bomb. And the rookie says the line that I think all of us were thinking, like, what if I miss? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That thing's not a needle. That is essentially like a shank. It's a harpoon. Right. That thing is massive on that needle. Yeah. That would kill you. It probably would. Yeah, I, I mean, it's not supposed to, though. No, but that thing was massive. And I, I also would not want to jab that into my chest. Oof. Yeah, it, imagine having to do that to yourself, right? <laughs> well, That's Nick, tough. Nick, Nicholas Cage doesn't do it later, so he fails that one. Does he? Oh, he tries to, but he stabs himself in, like, the midsection? Right, but it works. Yeah, I guess. I mean, he, he doesn't does, die in this movie, so it works. No, yeah, but he doesn't hit his heart. He's nowhere near his heart. Yeah, but... but it, 
at the very least it worked <laughs> that's true Whether... just, they say in this scene that you have to put it into your heart yeah i think the assumption is he hits his heart uh, i'm not i'm not you know i don't know the human body that I, well i'm yeah. i'm not te- i'm not saying that you're not you're not correct or about saying that he in terms of anatomy that it doesn't match up i'm just saying that in the in oh, the it, wor- world of this movie it works he ha- he must hit his heart that makes it works. Yeah. Otherwise, they wouldn't introduce that, right? That's that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Instead, Stanley continues to attempt to defuse the bomb. They finally get the sprinklers on, and Stanley defuses the bomb with five seconds to spare. And later, Stanley sits in his house playing guitar in his underwear. His girlfriend <laughs> Carla comes home and tells him that she's pregnant after he says he wouldn't want to bring a child into this fucked up world. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and this is 96, man. A lot of shit has happened yeah. since then. I, I just like the way he delivers what happened to him at work. <laughs> you know, and then I took the rest of the day off, came home. <laughs> Had some wine. Yeah. 25 years of fucked up shit have happened since then, so I totally yeah. get it. It's only it's gotten scary. worse. Yeah. I like how, like, uh, the exchange they had, and she was like, oh, but you just said you didn't want kids. He was like, he was like, yeah, that was then. She was like, it was seven seconds ago. Like, I thought that was so funny. A lot has happened. Yeah, a lot yeah. has changed. I think it said that Tarantino did a write-up of this movie. Like a punch-up of the script. Oh, I, I remember seeing that he was he went uncredited. Yeah, he did a punch-up on some dialogue. Yeah, that, yeah, that back and forth seems, you know, a little bit like somebody wrote that specifically, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. I'm not saying it's, it reads Tarantino because I don't know if I could pick that out, but it kind of feels like, all right, we need this exchange to be good. Let's, you yeah. know, let's, uh, as you said, you know, you know, and honestly, because uh, also who also did an uncredit was uncredited writer on this was an was Aaron Sorkin. That sounds like an Aaron Sorkin. Oh yeah, line, yeah. To be honest with you, exchange. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it could have been. Yeah, sounds like a back and forth with them. Yeah, it definitely feels like something they concentrated on. There's multiple scenes in this movie where they definitely focused on the dialogue yeah uh, and he says that they're not and he says they're not married so she proposes to him and he acts weird about it then we cut to a group of tourists being shown a tour of alcatraz ed harris and his men are there too and bokeem woodbine and some other guys start taking hostages they lock tourists in cells and then a chopper lands with some weapons and the team starts moving the equipment into place including the warheads after telling the hostages that he has no plan in harming them, Hummel addresses the men who have helped him take the island. He lays out the fact that each of the men will be paid $1 million for their efforts once the plan is successful, but they will never be able to return to the U.S. because they're basically cre- uh, committing treason. says he's doing this because gov- the government ignores compensation for soldiers that died doing secret missions. That's the, that's the reason why he's doing all this. Swimble then calls the FBI director Womack and tells him that they've taken hostages on Alcatraz and they will call him later with demands. So Womack calls an emergency meeting and they start to go through Hummel's very decorated military career. And then Hummel calls with his demands. He wants $100 million in order to pay the families of several men that he lost running missions during Desert Storm, as well as the men that he has on his on this current mission. Gives them 40 hours to come up with the money, and if they leak to the media, he will launch the missiles. Joint like Chiefs talk. How 
I, I like how they everyone treats the chief of staff like a total prick. Yeah. <laughs> like he's like some idiot. Like he didn't realize that they were running secret ops. And then everyone's like, you fucking idiot. You didn't know that. Right. Like, I'm sorry. I, <laughs> I, I was not aware that we were doing illegal things for yeah. so long. Sweet you, summer child. Yeah. You didn't, you didn't read that part of the handbook. <laughs> and, and then he asks how many people would one of the rockets kill? And then like one of the other, I, I don't know if he's a general or he's he's someone in the military just says 70. Yeah. And then when the guy says, oh, okay, well, that's not terrible. But, you know, obviously 70 people dying, not great. But if you were to tell me 70 people were going to die from a missile launch, I'd be like, oh, okay, well, it could be worse, right? Right. Well, it, yes, <laughs> definitely. In like some sort of terrorist situation, when you tell me 70 people are going to die, I was like, okay, well, what's the catch? Right. Right. 70 so, like we're here talking about a hundred million dollars or 70 people exactly so then the guy gives him seventy thousand. we'll lead with that you dick yeah. <laughs> it's not the time it's not the time to be to be brief or to be in, not unspecific right i'd be like you know what fuck you guys i'm out of here yeah <laughs> you figure yeah. this out <laughs> Uh, they talk about setting up a plan to drop some sort of combustible plasma that can counteract the VX gas, and the Joint Chiefs tell Womack to put his best chemical weapons guy on the case. So cut to Stanley and Carla trying to make another baby <laughs> when he gets the call to go to San Francisco. <laughs> and this is where the pigtails come into play. <laughs> um, yeah. But Stanley tells her that he does does want to marry Car. He he tells Carla that he does want to marry her, and he invites her to San Francisco, saying it's probably just some sort of training exercise. Joint Chiefs start going through a plan to try and take back the island, but it's difficult to figure it out because there's no plans on the underground system, and anyone that would have had any information about it died decades ago. And then Philip Baker Hall says that there's someone that may be able to help. He and Womack go out in the hall and talk about a guy that they made disappear 33 years ago. But Womack is skeptical because he thinks the guy is going to run as soon as he gets out. Regardless, they take a long-haired Sean Connery out of his cell. Meanwhile, Stanley meets with Womack at the airport. And when Womack starts talking about VX gas, Stanley realizes it's not a training exercise. So Womack and Goodspeed make it to San Francisco and they meet up with the West Coast director Paxton, played by William Forsythe. And he tells them that he has a prisoner, but is unsure of who he is because there was no file on him. Womack tells him that his name is John Mason and he's the only person to ever escape from Alcatraz. We cut to Paxton interrogating Mason, telling him that there are hostages in Alcatraz and they want him to help figure out the system in order to get those hostages out. Mason is perplexed by the fact that their actual tourist attraction is now Alcatraz. Mason says he wants a suite at the Fairmount Hotel, so Paxton shuts down the interrogation, tosses Mason a quarter, and tells him to call his lawyer. And, uh, yeah, as, as forgetting what happens later, the quarter thing was like, that's weird that they zoomed in on it. <laughs> like, that yeah. feels like, you know, knowing Michael Bay, I'm like, how? And then when it does come to, oh, yes. The. The FBI are portrayed as total dummies in this yeah. movie. Yeah. Like they they know nothing about this guy Mason. They know nothing about how to to like keep 
a prisoner under a watchful eye. They just they let it, it's no holds barred with yeah. these guys. They usually yeah, just go wherever you want. You want this? Yeah, go for it. You, oh, <laughs> they, you, get dis- they get distracted by food. <laughs> oh, you've <laughs> never been in a combat situation? <laughs> right, that's <sounds, laughs> Hey, it's free. One of them even says, "Like, oh, are you aren't you on duty? Not when there's free food." <laughs> I get that. I, I, I would agree the same right way. Now. <laughs> no place to we unfortunately we don't provide donuts for our guests, <laughs> but we should look into that. Once we get sponsored by by Dunkin', yeah. we will absolutely, Jess. We will send you a, a dozen. Or <laughs> I don't know what you like, but we'll we'll mix I'll it. Take in. what I can get. I love you. <laughs> so, God's Goodspeed says they don't have time for Mason to stew for a bit, so Womack tells Stanley to go and talk to Mason. So he does, and he's quite terrible at it. So Mason tells him how he's supposed to handle this, and Stanley, Stanley complies. Stanley then gives him a contract of sorts to sign, basically stating that he will get released if he helps him. It's a uh, uh, a pardon, basically. He says he'll help, but wants the suite in the Fairmount. Um, so they comply. Goodspeed hands over the signed document to Womack, who then immediately rips it up as soon as Mason, the lawyer, leaves, telling Goodspeed he doesn't understand. Uh, he tells Goodspeed that he doesn't understand what's everything that's going on. And then uh, Mason uses that quarter to break the two-way mirror so he could see Womack and call him a piece of shit. It's a great line. <laughs> They shuttle Mason to the Fairmount, and on the way, Stanley tries to call Carla, tell her not to go to come to San Francisco, but she says she's coming anyway. No, fuck that. Well, here it's understandable. Like, if you're pregnant and your husband and your boyfriend just like, it's like, all right, yeah, I'm uh, I'm going to San Francisco for a while. Don't come. Like, I don't know. I'd probably like if my husband did that, I would like track his ass down. I'd be like, no, what the fuck are you going? What are you doing? Right, because yeah. it it does seem kind of suspicious at yeah. that point, right? Like, right. Like, I give her, yeah. I give her, you know, I give her credit where it's due for that. Like, that's that's very that's very plausible that a woman would do that. Yeah, I see. I could see that definitely. Like, yeah. especially because he left like randomly. Yeah. Oh, I gotta go to San Francisco all of a sudden. Exactly. Men like, will <laughs> men will literally fake. Hostage situations instead of going <laughs> yeah. to therapy. I mean, well, also, like, because remember how I said I was obsessed with like scam documentaries and stuff. Like, this reminds me of like, yeah. um, uh, the the Tinder swindler. The Tinder swindler. Yeah. It's like you have all these catfishers <laughs> yeah. being like, "Oh yeah, I just got kidnapped." You're like, "I'm I'm doing special ops." Like, don't yeah. black off to the government. Don't come, but can yeah. <laughs> Don't come, but can you wire, wire me twenty thousand yeah. dollars? That's like uh, that's what happened. Carla, I'm weekend. stuck in San Francisco. <laughs> I need you to send me some money. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's pretty dead on Nicholas Cage. <laughs> yeah, right. He does say "oh" an awful oh, lot. Good. <laughs> oh, thank you. Uh, so Mason goes to take a shower and got good speed asks one of the agents to give him his gun because he left it, his at home. Meanwhile, Mason takes a shower, manages to sneak a clothesline rope and calls down for a ton of room service. And stylist comes over in order to cut Mason's hair, but Womack won't let the stylist use scissors. 
And Mason suggests that they do the haircut on the balcony. The haircut occurs on the balcony. The agents dig into the room service. And after the haircut, Mason asks Womack what happens after the mission. And Womack says that he'll be a free man. Mason asks to shake on it. And when Womack does, Mason ties the clothesline rope to to Womack's wrist and tosses him over the side. Goodspeed reacts with less than good speed, pulling his gun and telling Mason <laughs> to pull Womack up. Yeah. I loved the delay on this. <laughs> Womack goes all the way down by the time uh, <laughs> Goodspeed manages to pull the gun. Yeah. The... Well, he's not a field agent. He's never done this. Right. But he did watch. He, he had a clear view of that. That yeah. took like about like five seconds before he pulled the gun. Yeah. He's only good if there's a uh, like a little contraption that he has to set off. Yeah. That's when he's really good with a gun. No. Yeah. Speaking of that, not to spoil anything going forward, that should have been brought back at some point in the movie. But, the, like the Rube Goldberg thing? Yeah, like he had to shoot something and start yeah. like a, a chain reaction. That would have been interesting. I would have liked to have seen yeah, that. Yeah, like I thought that was... Not that this movie they, needs to be Yeah, done. like I thought they were going to come back to that in some way. Like it was gonna come in handy later, but it just didn't. It just it was there, and then that was it. Yeah, it was just to show how quirky yeah. he is, I guess. Yeah. So good speed. Uh, instead, Mason ties the rope to a chair on the balcony and runs off. Good speed grabs the rope and calls for the other agents who try to help Wilmack up, and good speed goes after Mason. Mason goes down the elevator and then through the kitchen of the hotel, eventually stealing a Humvee. Goodspeed commandeers a yellow Ferrari and a high-speed chase ensues with some police cruisers and other unmarked vehicles also giving chase. Collateral damage happens all over San Francisco as explosions happen for seemingly no reason. Eventually, Mason clips a trolley and causes a huge explosion as he gets away from Goodspeed, who manages to total who manages to total the Ferrari. They that probably will... killed seventy thousand people right there. Yeah, things just blow up for no reason right? too. Yeah. The trolley. The trolley just blows up. <laughs> like oh, it hits a parked car and just everything catches fire. Oh. Yeah, there was I, a there, there was a there was a red barrel next to that car. That's what you didn't see. Yeah. <laughs> I I also I like I secretly think Michael Bay might be racist. Secretly? Because I... Yeah. <laughs> it might be. Because he he makes a black uh, a, a black FBI agent give Nicolas Cage his gun. And then he destroys the trolley operator's only like means of <laughs> livelihood, and the trolley operator is a black guy. <laughs> just like, yeah, fuck you guys. Yeah, I mean the the two robots in Revenge of the Fallen was uh, a oh, pretty yeah. big giveaway. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, I completely forgot about that. But on the other hand. Bad Boys Two when when uh, Will Smith and Martin Lawrence kill the KKK. Yeah, so that's true. He's sending mixed messages. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> After he crashes the Ferrari, Goodspeed commandeers a bystander's motorbike and then calls his partner at the bureau to look up information on John Mason. The only thing he's able to find is next to Kin, a daughter who happens who just so happens to live in San Francisco. Goodspeed gets the address and goes to the house and winds up following the daughter to a meetup with Mason. 
And there's an attempt at reconciliation with his daughter, played by Claire Forlani, that he's barely known. What else? She never really became a big star, huh? No. Well, she was in Mystery Men, and I think that kind of hurt her a little bit. <laughs> she was in Mystery Men, Meet Joe Black, and Mallrats. And oh, then just disappeared that. off the face of the earth. She was good in this. For the little screen time she had, I think she she was fine. I I, I liked her. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the issue with her is Offset or whatever. Didn't Kevin Smith said she was pretty difficult or something? Uh, I thought he said that about Linda Fiorentino. That's it. Sorry, yeah. confused the two. Damn, <laughs> just selling the good name of Claire Forlani. Sorry, that's that's <laughs> what it was told about. Yeah, I, I think that's what he said about. I but like, who, who could you trust anymore with all like the conversations of difficult actresses? Yeah, I've, I've I think I've heard that yeah. on a couple of things with Linda Fiorentino, but yeah. but also I feel like yeah, it's. It's, it's like it's, a sticky situation. Where it was like, all right, well, who's really telling the truth here? It was, was she... it was probably her defending herself. Like, hey, I I don't want to do this scene. Like, oh, she's difficult. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think Catherine Heigl is like a person that kind of dealt with that shit too. Right? Yeah, that we talked about. And what was that movie? The Ugly Truth. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. For, yeah. I mean, for Gerarduary. Gerarduary. We we got to get Jess on for Gerard Jewery. <laughs> you're a fellow Gerard lover, right? Gerard Butler I, lover? I love him. I love him. Um, you see, there, there you we go. go. Perfect. Yeah, like, I'm not alone. I remember, I was like, I don't even remember why I was so upset, but I was really upset about something. Um, it was when my husband and I first started dating, and I was just like crying uncontrollably. And he was just like, he didn't know what to do. So he was like, he was like, why don't, he's like, here's a bunch of pictures of Gerard Butler. Just stare with this until you're okay. <laughs> and then it worked. He married Yeah, him. I was like, that's all it, it like, took. And, and then you said, I'm going to marry yeah, this man. I, I think that is what did it. <laughs> he's a genius. <laughs> you see? He knows. All he needed you guys laugh at me, but we know. Yeah, all he needed was just like, here's a bunch of stills from 300. Done. <laughs> there you go, man. It, it makes it all better. I'm telling you, you guys need to get on it. <laughs> what should I get on? Like the Gerard, Gerard Butler train? Is that yeah. yeah. I, I think you owe him an apology. <laughs> uh, next time I see him, I'll tell him. Thank hey, you. we ha- we have... We have a whole episode devoted to him every year. So good. And I love it. And you know what? I'm I'm very appreciative of you guys <laughs> for letting me have that. There you go. Um, the cops show up, all show up, which pisses off his daughter, who assumes he's broken out of prison again. Stanley tells her that her father is working for the FBI, and they take him in under handcuffs with Womack chewing Mason's ass out for the collateral damage he caused on the chase. We go to a planning room and Mason starts talking to Michael Bean through what he remembers of the underground system of Alcatraz, but then he gets stumped saying he'd be able he'd be able to remember it once they get there. Which Womack almost has a heart attack at the idea of Mason going on a trip, which is crazy because why go through all this trouble if they just wanted Mason to look at some maps? If that's the case, Mason could have easily just worked from home. <laughs> yeah, Paxton it, and Mike. <laughs> But it's weird because they they don't send the expert 
in who knows they they don't plan on sending him to Alcatraz, but they plan on sending the guy who has no experience whatsoever mm. into Alcatraz. Yeah. Seems very uh, short-sighted. Yeah, big time. Paxton and Michael Bean talk some sense into Womack with Mason dropping you're between the rock and the hard place <laughs> line. So good. Rock and a hard case, actually, was the line. Oh, hard case. Why not just yeah. say place? I don't know. Yeah. You really didn't need to make that adjustment to it. It still no, works. It, it's still, I was going to say, it works fine. Got too clever for your own good there, Aaron Sorkin. <laughs> They're going to love this. <laughs> uh, Goodspeed then briefs Bean on the location of the weapons, but much to his chagrin, the plan is for Goodspeed to go on the mission with the team to disarm the weapons. So Goodspeed goes to the bathroom to have a panic attack, and Williams, and Williams Forsyth, of all people, comes in and gives him a pep talk. It doesn't uh, fit. Yeah. Paxton also tells Goodspeed that he will have someone to pick up his girlfriend and bring him, bring her to the to the headquarters. Joint Chiefs give a call to Hummel and try to talk some sense into him, but he's not hearing any of it and quickly hangs up the phone. And the president gives the go-ahead for the SEAL incursion plan. I think I love the idea of that one. I guess he's head of the army or whatever, or Marines when he's talking to, you know, uh, and our character, and he's just like, hey, Al here. Uh, like, <laughs> acting like, ah, oh, you're just doing a silly thing. Like, right. Yeah, just, just the way it's com- it becomes completely unprofessional. Yeah. <laughs> when he's talking at ours. He's trying to, trying to meet him like a buddy. Yeah. You know? uh, team hops on some choppers, and they hand out some supplies, including atropine and syringes. Meanwhile, Carla is en route to the FBI command center, not getting any information from her driver. As the choppers get close to the island, Hummel's men get alerted, but lose them at some point. So they fan out on the island to try and find where the SEALs plan to breach. SEALs have some underwater jet skis of some sort and enter the island via a broken grating. And Mason then goes through a furnace that for some reason fires out flames like it's some sort of video game. <laughs> then opens the door from the other side, letting the team into the prison proper. That's how old-timey furnaces work. Didn't you know that? Yeah. It's perfectly timed for someone to roll around <laughs> through it. <laughs> then into the tunnel system of the island they go into. Seal team makes it below the shower room and attempt to disarm a motion sensor on a manhole cover, but wind up tripping it instead. Hummel's men get into position in the shower right above on a guard platform and everyone draws weapons as the SEAL team comes out of the manhole. Hummel tells Michael Bean to have his men drop their weapons, but Bean refuses to give that order, instead trying to appeal to Hummel and his men as soldiers on the same side. How how embarrassing, because Michael Bean gives this like big pep talk right before they enter Alcatraz. Mm -hmm. Like basically like, you know, we're in the shit here. We're going up against the best of the best, so you got to be on your best, you know, you, like keep your head on the swivel kind of thing, like really pumping everyone up. And then he just gets like fucking wiped out. Like immediately, yeah. yeah. Immediately. How embarrassing. Like, yeah. man. Yeah, like, you, you took on a Terminator, dude. And this is what yeah. you get taken out by Ed Harris. Come on. <laughs> yeah. And it's it really just comes down to he assumed they there was the uh, the the motion sensor, right? Because they set it up early when they're planting everything. John yes. C. McGinley, I think it is, who says, 
you know, the the laser's a decoy. Like if the laser right. doesn't do anything, it's the ball, it's the ball of the, on the on the thing that does it. Yeah, there's like a little spring in there. Yeah. That vibrates. Dummy. <laughs> Fucking dummy. God goddamn Michael Bean. <laughs> so Michael Bean has been killed by a Terminator, <laughs> a Xenomorph, and uh Ed Harris. <laughs> Ed Harris. <laughs> All the other the three, ones too, right? Yeah. But those are the three big uh hunters, three big. I guess. <laughs> oh, it could have been Candyman. Tony Todd could have been the one that fired the gun. Fired the oh, shot and killed. Man, maybe it was. How we many don't know. times was his name mentioned in the movie? Oh. Not yeah. enough. <laughs> or maybe those scenes were just cut out, you know? And then Right. Because they were yeah. they were terrified. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Can't, can't rip that. <laughs> Do you think like they must have been pretty cool, right? To like work with someone like Tony Todd. Like the dude's a legend. Yeah. Right. So you you have Ed Harris and Tony Todd, two really good villains, and it, like I, I think that's the perfect kind of setup mm-hmm. there. And like they throw in this third guy who kind of like waters it down a little bit because he's like over the top crazy. Yeah, I, I, it would have been cool if it was just Tony Todd and Ed, Ed, uh, Ed Harris who kind of just go one on one at the end. But you I'm know, it, Gregory Sporlitter. Yeah, I, I didn't like his character. He was the wild card, I guess. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he was just over the top. He was in Twister. Was he? SWAT. Renaissance Man with Danny DeVito. Interesting. Like, what could he have been in Twister? Was he the? Was he with? Um, Same as Willie. Was he the rival hurricane chasers or the uh, uh, tornado chasers? I'm only getting Willie. Mm, don't know what that means. Yeah. He's probably one of the bad guys. Oh. Scrolling through, I don't see any. Don't see any pictures of him in Twister, so he probably wasn't a big role. Yeah. Yeah. But someone knock. Someone on Hummel's side knocks a brick off the high floors in the showers below, causing one of the seals to start firing, which causes everyone to fire, despite Hummel ordering his men to cease fire. Every seal gets wasted as Mason and God's Goodspeed keeps trying to say Godspeed uh, can only watch from the tunnel below. Mason grabs a couple of guns off of one of the downed seals and heads off down the tunnels as Goodspeed follows after. Back at the headquarters, Paxton and Womack realize that Goodspeed and Mason are the last ones alive. So Paxton gets on the radio and tells Goodspeed to go after Mason. Meanwhile, Hummel finds one of the body cams on a dead seal and basically blames the FBI for what they did, not taking any responsibility for his role in it at all. Paxton calls Womack out of the room and demands he tells him about Mason and who Mason actually is. Womack says that Mason was a British secret agent who got his hands on microfilm that would spill all of the U.S.'s secrets, but would never tell anyone where he stashed it, so they kept him in prison without trial for over 30 years. Are they going to do that to James Bond? In a while? <laughs> I, I love that theory. That's so good. It, it, we discussed that the timelines match up almost perfectly. Yes. Yeah. So if anyone, if anybody's listening, doesn't doesn't know this theory. They say the theory is that uh, Sean Connery is playing James Bond in this. He's playing a British secret agent and 
basically the timeline matches up to when he stopped playing James Bond. If you take out Never Say Never Again, which is the unofficial James Bond movie. So if you go through the canon, uh, he is that the whole timeline maps out to when he would have went to prison. And that's great. Now, what about this theory? I don't know if I'm I'm sure someone else would have thought of this. But you know, I'm I'm kind of jumping towards the end here. But what if this was also kind of the beginning of National Treasure? Like this is the Ooh. prelude to National Treasure. Yeah. I think I saw something that on the letterbox that said something similar to that. It makes sense, right? Because like he he has to go find this rare this uh rare piece of history and yeah. maybe that's what kind of sets him off to, on that path. I love it. I'm here for it. I'm I'm here for this uh yeah. amalgamation. <laughs> um let's see. Uh so meanwhile, Goodspeed tries to get Mason to listen to him under threat of shooting him, but Mason immediately clocks Goodspeed as a guy that wouldn't shoot him, so he winds up snatching the gun out of Stanley's hands. So then Goodspeed tries to appeal to Mason as someone that has a lot to lose if the chemical weapons go off. Stanley tells him that he can defuse the rockets, but he needs Mason's help. At this point, Hummel's team realizes that there are still people in the tunnels, so he sends his men down to flush it out. Team starts tossing explosives into the tunnel system, causing explosives to go up all over the tunnel system, tossing Mason and Stanley a few feet into the water. I love how editing-wise, um, they do a slightly bad job of not making it obvious that they're doing that stunt trick where they pull them by the wire when the explosion happens. Mm. Because they're clearly like not in that position to be sideways in the air, right? When they when they cut from the close up to the wide, yeah. Sure. And I was like, oh, yeah. Now knowing how that works from watching like behind the scenes stuff post DVD, I'm like, oh, I see it clearly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's like once you see that stuff, you can't unsee it. Right. <laughs> so after all this. Mason decides to help Stanley get to the morgue where a cache of the missiles is being stored. In the morgue, Mason makes quick work of one of the soldiers with a thrown knife and then gets to a gunfight with another, ultimately shooting an AC unit down from the ceiling onto the guy's head. Stanley yeah. then goes to work. Okay. I'm assuming those missiles would have been protected or else that guy is an idiot. They, that... they do bring up, like, don't shoot near... The missiles. Yeah, because it's going to let a grenade go amongst like 15 missiles or 10. How many were down there? Uh, it it's like 12. Yeah. Yeah, it would have yeah. murdered like, like it would have ended the plan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Stanley then gets to work removing the guidance systems in each of the rockets and explaining to Mason what the VX gas does. And it does not sound particularly pleasant. After a while, the Marines realize that the guards in the morgue have not checked in, so Hummel tells them to move on to the morgue. So the entire island of Marines head over to the morgue, and Stanley manages to disarm the last rocket in the morgue, but says there are three rockets still left on the island. Run as the guys chase after him, and they wind up in some sort of minecart ride, like it's the Temple of Doom, because in this reality, Alcatraz has a system of minecarts on rails. My favorite part. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, it's like Donkey Kong Country. I get it. Yeah, it's just, it's great. They, <laughs> I, I it, there's no way that's possible, but 
it's such an interesting idea to throw in there. Like, yeah, why not? Let's just put a Temple of Doom setting in Alcatraz. Right. <laughs> I love how the tw- the the hostages do not play into this movie at all. Yeah, if you think I, about it, like they get forgotten about. Yeah, basically. like none of them right. have names. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, right. <laughs> we, we don't you, learn anything about anybody. You have the one woman who says she wish she wishes she had her gun, or else this wouldn't have gone down. So it's yeah. like Mark Wahlberg is there essentially. It would have gone down differently. <laughs> Not on my watch. Um, they wouldn't have so, taken hostages if I were there. <laughs> so they go in the mine carts and they crash at the end of the rail with the Marines in pursuit. Another gunfight ensues. Mason winds up setting one guy on fire and Stanley actually shoots a guy to save Mason's life. Meanwhile, the he- FBI headquarters is still trying to organize an airstrike, but it still seems like it will come down to the wire. So meanwhile, Hummel takes a hostage out into the open and gets on the radio to tell Mason and Stanley that he will execute him in three minutes unless they show up with the microchips. Stanley has a crisis of what to do, so Mason stomps on the microchips. The airstrike team also gets ready to go for the go word. But meanwhile, as Stanley starts to freak out in the prison cell, Mason works to get them out by tying a bedsheet and using it to pull levers that open the cell. He does so successfully. Hummel's Marines are getting a bit impatient as Deadline gets near, especially Tony Todd, ready to fucking Candyman on everyone. (laughs) Yeah. And Mason is ready to leave, saying he doesn't plan to die on the island. The FBI calls and tries to get more time, but Hummel says they are running out of time, so the men convince Hummel to launch the rocket. Stanley tries to convince Mason to finish the mission with him and gets a punch in the gut for the troubles. To no avail, they go their separate ways as the Marines prepare to find, fire the first rocket. And Stanley immediately gets held at gunpoint by one of the Marines, but Mason shows up and snaps the guy's neck, saying he doesn't want Stanley's kid to grow up without a father. Yeah, it's a pretty visceral neck break. Yeah. <laughs> and then Hummel no. gives the go f- to fire the rocket. Go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, I, I think, you, did you mention that they were firing the rocket? Uh, I just did. Okay, so they fire the rocket, and then uh, Hummel reverses its course, right? Yeah. And the other Marines see this as a sign of weakness. Wouldn't that show that these guys aren't messing around, though? Like, that, that's a warning shot, right? As far so, as the FBI knows. So they say that... Um... I mean, he says that they that the FBI doesn't know that they missed on purpose. Right. So they say, oh, that's great. They just think we're incompetent now. Would you take it that way? I mean, if if like you've I, I get what you're saying, you're saying that like you just launched the rocket and just and as some form of goodwill you've decided that you're going to put it into the to the water to just show that you can do that and right but you're will you're also willing to launch it i get what you're saying yeah yeah and at the same time if i'm the fbi like oh they they shot it over the uh the raiders game I'm like uh, okay no big loss there i guess <laughs> you lose the oakland raiders worst things have happened i mean it, it ties back into michael bay the the uh 
the rocket was aimed towards Oakland. <laughs> That's just right. We're going to lose a certain amount of people there. <laughs> uh, then he fires the rocket. FBA headquarters tracks the rocket and realizes it's headed right towards the football stadium. But at the last second, Hummel changes the coordinates of the missile and it splashes down in the water. So Tony Todd starts freaking out and David Morris tells him to step inside so he could talk to Hummel alone. Everyone starts coming apart, it seems, as David Morris tells Hummel that they need to call the FBI and demand a new deadline. But Hummel doesn't want to pull uh, want to and pulls a gun on David Morris when he tries to call them himself. So now the president now gives the air go ahead for the airstrike. The airstrike is 17 minutes away. So now the Marines are starting to turn on Hummel, worried that they lost all the advantage by having the rocket miss. The Marines want to get paid, but Hummel says the, the mission is over. The feds called their bluff and it and now there is no money. So Tony Todd tries to start a mutiny, relieving Hummel of his command, which starts a Mexican standoff, and everyone winds up getting shot. Jason and Stanley come in and pull Hummel out, and Hummel tells Stanley the last rocket is at the lighthouse before he dies. Stanley heads to the lighthouse while Mason deals with the Marines. One of the Marines winds up throwing a grenade at him, and Mason hides in the bathroom to take cover. Stanley gets to the lighthouse and starts undoing the rocket, but Tony Todd shows up as he has the VX gas balls in his hand. Start stalking around the rocket as Tony Todd threatens Stanley with a gun and then a knife. Then once Tony Todd stands in front of the rocket, Stanley fires it, shooting the rocket and Tony Todd out the window. You the rocket, then... rocket man. Yeah. Terrible one-liner. <laughs> yeah. The rocket I... then falling into the water. I did not like that. Because it gives him far it gives Tony Todd far too much time to just move out of right. the way. Right. You're him. You're the rocket man. <laughs> You're the rocket man. Boo. <laughs> I wish Tony Todd would have yelled, boo. <laughs> I don't like that soft shit. <laughs> I don't blame him. The other Marines start trying to get to the lighthouse, so Stanley goes up and out into the top to try and remove the microchip from the strand of VX and nearly drops one of the balls off the side, but he manages to grab it before he fall, before it falls. Then one of the Marines posts up with a machine gun, starts firing at him. Then Mason sneaks up behind him, tosses him over the side of the building. And then the other Marine breaks into the lighthouse finally and starts chasing Stanley around the island. Stanley hides the stand a stack of VX in the top of the lighthouse, but keeps the one that fell in his pocket. Uh, the Marine got... So he hides the other ones in there, but takes the one with him. Yeah, yeah I don't know. And also, yeah. all the other microchips are not with the strands yeah. they're in the casing so yeah. i don't know why he's carrying this thing around at this point yeah yeah and it also if and the other thing like not the shoot giant holes and part of this plot near the end is um if these things are as sensitive as they're shown in the beginning of the movie um when that uh the very end thing happens wouldn't that have just exploded all those ones that he had left behind in the lighthouse that's what i'm saying all of a sudden they were so fragile in the beginning now he's jumping through windows falling great distances getting punched and this thing is still somehow intact yeah it's uh just the magic of the movies <laughs> i guess so <laughs> very lucky very lucky yeah. 
the Marine shoots at him and they wind up getting into a fist fight with the Marine trying to choke Stanley to death. Stanley grabs the VX ball and shoves it into his mouth and then punches him in the face, breaking the VX ball, and it starts to work instantly. The Marine face starts to melt. Stanley has to use the atropine to save himself. After he stabs himself in the heart, we're going to assume, uh, with the atropine, oh he recovers. <laughs> he Stanley. gives a master class in, uh, in acting in that scene, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Pretty he, good. Uh, he he stabbed he stabbed in the neighborhood of his heart. It's like a second baseman turning a double play. Right. Yeah. Like he, he, was, he, was... he likes spasms, and they hold on the spasm for too long. I think. Yeah. He, so he stabbed himself. He like goes into the fetal position, and he's like, <laughs> and just like it. Lo- it looks like he's having like a seizure. Yeah. Honestly, I get like that whenever I need any sort of like needle or anything. So I can't even oh. hate <laughs> big baby. You just ball up into a little shaking and crying <laughs> like a child. And they, they say you you pull in the cage. <laughs> I should just tell them next time that's what I'm doing. I was like, listen, I'm not scared. I'm method acting. Like, yes, I'm I'm channeling my. I'm acting cage. like Jared Leto, <laughs> acting like Nick Cage. <laughs> Jared Leto would really stab himself in the heart. Yeah. Right? Yeah, he he would say, "Give, give me the actual needle, yeah. Doc." We we can only hope. <laughs> Jared just, Leto dies today. So we'll just switch it out with an empty syringe. Just uh-huh. air, just air, just a bunch yeah. of bubbles. <laughs> I don't know what happened. You know, he he wanted to do it himself. Such a pro. Such a pro. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't want to work with him now, now that we talk about it. Yeah. Because the, the likelihood of someone getting seriously hurt, I feel like, has just increased. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So after he recovers, Stanley heads outside to light the flares to say that the threat has been neutralized. And just as the airstrike gets to the island, the abort call comes a second too late, and one of the pilots lets one of his missiles go. Stanley gets tossed in the water, but Mason comes in and pulls him out, saving his life once again. FBI calls him on the radio to try and get him, and he tells him that, that tells them that he's alive. All the hostages are safe, but Mason is dead. Stanley then tells Mason that Womack tore up his pardon. We should backtrack to where the scuba gear is and find his way to Stanley's hotel room, where he's got about 200 bucks in cash, and then he can disappear. So Mason gives Stanley his next mission, tells him about a church in a random town in Kansas, and Mason is off. Begin national treasure. Yep. Yep. When the feds land, Paxson congratulates Stanley, and Stanley tells him that Mason was vaporized, quote-unquote, and Paxson obviously doesn't believe him. Yeah, that that was a pretty cool, you know, understate, like, sort of like a nod. Yeah. Like, out to sea, huh? Ah, It Hmm. sucks. Yeah. You know. Poor bastard. Yeah, poor bastard. And then they tell Womack the same thing, and he sort of believes it. So, because Womack's an idiot. <laughs> yeah. He's the FBI. Yep. Yeah. Later, at the random church in Kansas, Stanley absconds with the right leg of one of the pews as Carla acts as the getaway driver on presumably their honeymoon. And this is apparently where Mason has hid the microfilm on who actually killed JFK. And then we. Fade out, and that's the end of The Rock. What a great time. Yeah. 
fun. I loved it. Don't really have much to say about it. It's great. Yeah. It's, it's the perfect movie. Yeah, I think it's the only really... thing the only thing we said we fixed that I I remember was pointing out that they do that that machine thing at the beginning and just never tie it yeah. back in. Yeah. <laughs> it needs more Rube yes. Goldberg. Uh, yeah, more Nerf guns. <laughs> something. Like he could have done it with that more Nerf guns. Just remake this movie with nothing but Nerf Dude. guns. Yes. <laughs> Make it an interactive experience, like a VR. Oh, oh how great would that be? <laughs> I'm going to be rich. We're going to do this. Let's do this. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, can, uh, we could use AI to remake Sean Connery as Yeah, as just Mason, get a hologram. And he'll you know, take... If it's good enough for Whitney Houston right. and Tupac, <laughs> you know. Yeah. We just, we, just, uh, we just turned The Rock into Rocky Horror. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I would just, I would remove uh, the roommate uh, of his daughter just so we know it doesn't pass the Bechdel test. Yeah, like why even, why fake it, you know? Go all in. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. If you're going to get it just by the skin of your teeth, you might as well not do it. Exactly. Right, yeah, it's it's all or nothing, I'd say, for that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, This is one of the best movies we've watched ever for this podcast, probably. Yeah. I'd say this and RoboCop, right? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, uh, Jess, thank you so much for uh, for coming on and talking about The Rock with us. Thank you so much for having uh, me. You got it's anything you so want to plug? Um, yeah, I love having you, Jess. Oh, you're the best. Um, I think I want to plug. Um, let's see. I still plan on launching a podcast that I haven't launched yet. I've recorded some episodes, but I haven't posted them yet because <laughs> I hate the sound of my voice. So... Once I get over that, uh, we can plug that. But for now, uh, it gets easier. <laughs> I think I'll just like it gets easier as you do more. Like my husband like does audio editing, so I think I'll just like record stuff, give it to him, and then never listen to it again. Um. <laughs> if if it makes you feel better, I barely listen to this podcast, and I'm on. Well, you it. have a very pleasant voice, though. <laughs> very soothing. Is it like a oh, comforting? Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that. Nice tone. I just, I know I sound like a dummy. You know you do. So I don't want to. <laughs> like it, that's the one. That's the one good thing. Like Facebook Memories has brought up is just like how terrible I was as a as a youngster. <laughs> All my jokes were just so bad. So now that like I have that crippling fear. So I I, I listen to the podcast. When <laughs> but I don't really listen to the podcast. So don't don't You're feel my bad. Fave. <laughs> uh Jess, where can then people find you uh, on the on the socials? So I just joined Discord uh for this podcast, but I it's fun. I may use it more. So if you wanna uh add me there, uh, my username is Shark Abortion. Um yeah. And and you can also find me <laughs> on uh Instagram and Twitter at oh hey Jess Sager, all one word. Okay, great. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, thank you so much for coming by. Um, you know, we got a bunch of new episodes coming up this, yeah. these next few weeks. Uh, Mark, seems like you want to say something? Yeah, I was just going to say, I think we'll have a, another special guest next week as well. That's exciting. That's fun. Yeah. I love having people on. Um, yeah, it's, always, it's my favorite when we have someone on. Yeah, we should definitely do it more often. But we got a few coming up. 
So check out that. Um, yeah, thanks, Jess. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Mark, once again for doing these ridiculous podcasts with me. The director of The Rock, Michael Bay. So for Dan Aquino, Mark Myers, and Jess Sager, this is Anthony Galvecchio telling Michael Bay, well, you certainly made a movie, didn't you? Thanks for listening to They Called Us a Movie. Subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to check us out on Twitter and Instagram at TicTamPod. That's T-C-T-A-M-Pod. You can also check us out on TikTok at They Called Us a Movie.